As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for joining us on the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before I introduce this week's guest, just a quick reminder to head over to our website, premierunbelievable.com, to find more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can get yourself a free ebook. But now for today's show. I am joined today by Joshua Carras, author of The Incendus Letters, an appropriation of C.S. Lewis's classic book, The Screw Tape Letters. Josh, before we dive into your book, why don't you share just a little bit about yourself? You know, what do you do? How did you end up here? Bit of a sort of potted life history of Joshua. Very excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation to speak. Um, so I am a 29-year-old a young professional living in Sydney, Australia. I am currently studying a PhD, second year, um, in public health, actually, so not, not, not quite based in literature. Um, professionally, I have finished up this year as the executive manager of the United Nations Association of Australia, so um, based, in, um, you know, based in New South Wales, we, we were aiming to engage, inform, inspire um, people about the works of the UN. Um, spiritually, I, I am Coptic Orthodox, born and raised, um, and so that's, I'm married with a uh, uh, a wonderful wife and seven-month-old uh, baby. And yeah, that's, uh, we have a little dash-in called Maggie. <laughs> I love that. I also have a baby and a dog. Very brave. Oh, there you um, go. <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit more about this, uh, the, the public health PhD and, and all of that, because it's really exciting and, and quite different from what you've done with the book. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, that's that's correct. I wonder now, what was the side project? That's that's the um <laughs> the question I'm asking myself these days because I, I loved it so much. But I am, yeah, so just finishing up my second year, my topic, um, my thesis for the PhD is um, focusing on tribalism in the vaccine-hesitant community. Now, I always say at this point that I was very adamant on, on exploring this topic pre-pandemically. So um, <laughs> I, I want people to know that... Uh, yeah, I think it's a very fascinating topic, just the concept of um, understanding why and how people um, get, grow their opinions about um, m- many health interventions, but in particular vaccines. And um, I've always, in alignment with that, I've always wanted to explore international public health concepts. So the UN is very effective at doing that. And so that's kind of why I, after graduation, I landed in this uh, amazing opportunity um, to act as the UNAA's executive manager, which is kind of public health plus so much more um so it, it it's um 
it's been I, I've just finished up with them now because I'm looking to focus on the PhD for the second half of the thesis because now it's time to write, 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 and I need as much time as possible to do that. Yeah. And you said that this was all sort of pre-pandemic that you that you wanted to do this, but you were presumably quite involved with COVID nineteen in light of what it is you do. Oh, absolutely! In fact, the pandemic is is what brought me is what brought me to commence the PhD faster than I would have anticipated, um, just because I realised that the data that would be and you know that would be potentially um, explored and established would be beneficial to fighting the, the pandemic. And I'm grateful to say that it definitely made an impact, at least in the, um, at least in my state. Um, the the findings of exploring how to communicate to vaccine hesitant individuals that was um, that was kind of established through my studies was harnessed very quickly by the government and so um it was yeah I feel I feel like I made the right decision to go back potentially earlier than I was anticipating yeah let's let's go back even further I mean what was your experience of God as a child did you sort of grow up in a Coptic Orthodox family yeah I sure did so born and raised in the Coptic Orthodox Church so quite that traditional fundamentalist belief uh, belief system um that you know that that um, Coptic Orthodoxy kind of is known for um the church was founded so so soon after um you know christ's resurrection so it's just very you, what you see in the church the masses that i go to are um have changed so little especially the coptic masses um and so it's uh, you know in 2000 for 2000 years and so um i my relationship with god um of course i think like many of us is just like c.s lewis's you know has goes up has its ups and downs um, and it's and it's easy easy times and hard times. I think I'm in a place now that I'm. I think I'm at a point of um, re, a re re renewal. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> constantly. Um, it's just just because of the abundant blessings that I've received, which is, you know, one could say that you receive you go closer to God during trials, which has also happened. But my case in the present is um, is a feeling of closeness just due to an understanding of. And, and a renewed um, perspective of the concept of in God's time. So I have seen now and um, lived through um, experiences where I really wanted something at a time, did not get it. And then, you know, um, God has allowed me to understand why things didn't happen at a certain time. And I think that's so valuable because, it's, yeah, it's permitted me to gain trust. Now, I, for an example, I had my electric bike stolen yesterday. Um, so strange, such a, mm. and, and I was going to, I had just done some church service and I'd gone to, you know, uh, a hardware store to build the cot for my son. And that's when it got stolen, like really at that point in time. Um, and I asked, I asked myself, well, yes, really Josh, because we, uh, there's a reason why there's, and it's through these trials and tribulations incorporated with the blessings that I have at the moment. I think there is much to experience and, and walk with God um, with and, and, and speak to about. So my prayers are now rich and very conversational at the moment. Saying, God, I understand you did this. This is, I mean, this is strange, but I'm kind of excited to see why this happened. And if, if, it's, if you give me that awareness, then great. If not, I'll know that there was a reason. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice renewed closeness, I would say. I'm sorry about your bike, though. That is annoying. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So you mentioned C.S. Lewis there in sort of in relation to your own faith. Let's let's talk a bit about C.S. Lewis, given that we are on the C.S. Lewis podcast. Um, how did you get into C.S. Lewis? What was kind of your first interaction with him? I think like so many 
the first interaction was Narnia, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Um, I think it certainly captured my imagination. And I then, of course, enjoyed the films. A couple of years later, I went to a reimagined play of the Screwtape Letters. And this was an amazing opportunity for me to um, kind of be aware that, hmm, if this individual can reimagine C.S. Lewis, why can't I? I think that was quite formative, at least. A seed, I think the seed was planted that, that night when I, um, when I watched the play. I ran home and, and quickly re- um, purchased the book and, um, and gosh, I loved the book so much more than the play. <laughs> but I, it, then, it then, you know, as the years went on, this seed of reimagination of, uh, of the script letters definitely stuck with me. Um, and yeah, I've, I've enjoyed, I've, I've read a few of his, um, of his books. Of course, I, I certainly had to. Um, and yeah, now to this day, I, um, I still really appreciate his works. And I suppose for some people, this is like asking what their favorite child is, but do you have a favorite book or a favorite quote or, you know, something that really sticks a favorite image that he uses or an example? I have a favorite. This is not a quote from actually. Yes, this is a um, the name of his autobiography is. I think it's surprised it, by joy. That's the one. Yeah. I believe it's in there that he says um, that he became very angry at God for not existing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I love that line very much. I think that really captures his essence of exploring creatively and almost whimsically the um, you know the the innocent but fallible but beautiful relationship humans can have with God. Brilliant. And that's one of the things, isn't it, that comes through a lot of his writing. He's just so honest in the way that he writes about things and just so sort of normal. So with the Screwtape Letters, obviously you were really inspired by this play and then you read the book. What was it, do you think, about the Screwtape Letters that so captivated you? Great question, and I think that the answer is the simply unique perspective that we get to enjoy in, within its pages. I don't think in any other text can we explore the, the, the notions of human nature from the perspective of hatred. And it, it is not, and hatred is, is too simple a word. It's... Um, it is a complex uh, detestment, a, 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 and we are so. Uh, co- I, I've always been so caught up in the way that he creatively explores what it means for a, um, a an individual, an entity, from that perspective, to analyze us so carefully. What it means is that the insights gained are unequivocally unique. And from that, fascinating, and from that, impactful. And that's what matters to me is the deep and enduring impact that I have after, after every time I read the book. Right. Well, let's get to your book, The Insidious <laughs> Letters. And if anyone's watching the video, I'm holding this wonderful yellow book to the screen. Where, I mean, you've talked where your inspiration came from, but, but how did you go about writing it? Why did you write this book? I am going to tell you everything in detail, logistical detail, because this is my first and possibly only book I'll write. I don't, who knows what the future holds. Mm-hmm. Um, I love English, but I don't consider myself an author per se. Um, I came about wanting, I, I, I love the book, as I've, as I've just explained. Um, I really love the, the concept, the, the format of the book. 
and I loved it so much that I wanted to, I wanted to have, I, I wanted to explore um, what else can be done. I wanted to keep going. I, it, it's almost like I, I wanted to write it for myself because I, because I loved the, um, the, the concept and premise. I, the one thing that I would say um, about the book is that it's now 80 years since it was written. And the, I think we can say that a big part of, of Lewis's life was exploring how the war was impacting his life. And of course it would, it would seep into his writing, no doubt. I think that we are currently not living in a world war and maybe never. I think that I, I wanted to explore what the book would have been like, or how can we reimagine this in a modern setting? So I, I have this dream of, of, um, of explore of helping individuals in this modern day to understand what being a Christian is like and what we think about. And that, that dream was started by C.S. Lewis. And I, I have the audacity. I re- this is what I've been wanting to say. I have the terrible audacity through much encouragement from my family and friends to try and dare to emulate as to the best of my ability, this style in a modern setting. So that was the reason why I wanted to get started on this project. Um, in, in terms of the second part of your question, how did I go about writing it? It's really easy, actually. Um, on January 1st, 2021, I committed as a New Year's resolution because, I, because I, writing doesn't come very easily to me to write at least 100 words a day. Um, so it was, it really was um, that type of project where I would just work at it bit by bit. Some days I would write, uh, I could barely make a hundred and other days I'd write a whole chapter, um, sometimes two. It just depended on, on, on the personal experiences and how I was feeling on the day. How did you go about beginning to imitate one of the greatest writers of oh. all time? Someone said, you know, did did you kind of did you intentionally try and use similar language? I mean, obviously, it's a similar concept, um, but but how did you go about trying to effectively kind of you, you use the word audacity there? How did you, yeah. with your audacity, how did you actually <laughs> create that finished project? Great question. I realized that my natural personal Joshua Karras style of writing was in the realm of Lewis. I ramble on, as you can probably hear from the, the answers to these questions, I ramble on, I love a good vocabulary, and um, I enjoy the concept of exploring notions through, through a whimsical exploration fueled by creative language. And I think that's what, so, so I'm, Luckily, that I think I have a natural disposition. I'm in the ballpark. I'm in the ballpark. I'm, I'm magnitudes of millions lesser than him, of course. But I, I'm still, uh, you know, I, I still want to naturally try to write like him. So that, so it wasn't. I didn't. Uh, I, it wasn't like I'm going to change everything about the way I would write to try and be to try and be like this. It's an, an, emul- an emulation was natural. Um, I went about reading his books, but only this is b- just before writing. I've, I've read them a few times before in my life, but just I made a decision. I don't want to copy him. Copying is different to emulation. So I'll read his books once to capture the, um, the way that he explores notions. Just so, not, uh, not so much his stylistic features, 
because that that I, I think that he was so formative that I, I'm I'm doing it naturally. I don't need to know. I don't need to see it. I then made it was very intent and purposeful in not reading the screw tape letters while I was writing these sentence letters, because I because I needed to. That, you know, otherwise I'm just co- I'm just copying. Then then it's yeah. then it's copying, and, and emulation needs to be its own body of work. So I realized very early on that if I just try to read and see, oh, how I have this idea, let me just go back and refer to how he's doing it. Then it's not it's not a it's not a unique piece. I received the um, the Saint Monastery's Press, who, the, the the publishers were, were very useful in kind of exploring that with me, um, and and. Helping me understand, um, helping me understand, have the confidence that you're doing this project. Don't think that you're trying to copy C.S. Lewis. You're not. You are uh, inspired by him, yeah. and you are you are taking it, you are taking this unique epistolatory format of a novel, and you're doing an, and you're doing another one for modern audiences. So it's it's it is it is an it is a newness born out of something that I was inspired by. Well, we're going to unpack that a little bit more in another episode. You know, some of those modern takes that some of the modern subjects that you kind of approach and a little bit more about sort of how it came about. But I mean, do you think that this you sort of mentioned there that the screw tape letters is is 80 years old now? Do you think it was in need of a bit of a facelift? Do you think some of Lewis's style and content is a bit dated in a kind of modern context? I could never say that. I can't be myself. I, I, I <laughs> just can't. Because it's C.S. Lewis. <laughs> it's C.S. Lewis because, well, his, I think that, that his stylistic features are classically enduring. I think we can all agree on that. I, I, I wonder if some of the small bits and pieces scattered across his texts where they focus on, you know, uh, on uh, conscription and, and, and dowries and little things that little, little, uh, remnants of uh, a time gone by, wh- whether or not it impacts an individual, I think depends on the individual. For me, I had, I, I wanted to hear his voice in the 21st century. Um, I wanted to know what that. I, w- I wanted to know what he'd have to say. So I tried to imagine, and that, and that's what. Yeah, that's what we are. Well, let's hear a little bit more um, about where did the title of your book come from? Because obviously that's, you know, quite a strange word. Was it completely made up? Was it, did, where did it come from? <laughs> Absolutely. So um, obviously the and letters is uh, is uh, an ode to uh, to the great C.S. Lewis. In, in selecting the demons' names, it was, it was quite a process. I spent quite a number of hours poring over. I, I firstly sat down and wondered, what is a demon? Uh, a demon is uh, evil. A demon is uncaring, selfish, and um, and they are incendiary. They ignite within uh, an individual the the worst of ourselves. Um, and this is an, an important point. I tried to, uh, as part of this reimagining and modernization, in acknowledging that we now live in a world where. Um, where uh, faithlessness exists, there are many more atheists and agnostics in, in today's world than Lewis's. I wanted to make this a, a more as approachable as possible to the atheist and and heavily agnostic reader. So, in, to say that a demon is incendiary, I, I when I'm speaking and, and talking about the book to um, an atheist person, I ex- I explain the book that if if you're not in, in a in a place to acknowledge the existence of demons, 
then this can very much be considered the demons of your mind. Mental, mental health issues that we experience or just, simple, just the simple vices of humanity, which do not need to be linked to a supernatural world. Um, and I think that uh, everyone can, can agree that sometimes we have incendiary thoughts and we have maniacal thoughts. And, and so from that, simply just making the personifying these two, um, these two traits, incendus and maniacus, um, are our two demons in, in the book. And so you mentioned there having sort of non-Christian audience in mind as well. And that was very much Lewis's, um, yes. you know, with a lot of what he was writing, he was often writing and speaking to non-Christians, wasn't he? Was right. that very intentional for you as well then to make sure that this wasn't just a Christian piece of literature for Christians? Absolutely. I don't consider this a religious text. Um, I think that any person can pick this up. I hoped I, I tried to with in, in, in carrying Lewis's soul, you know, I think a, a primary mandate of his was to reach out to non-believers. Um, and also, and also I think on some level, not, not, I don't want to use entertain, but captivate, um, in, in, in that in mind, I proceeded with this, with this book with the intent of suspending belief or non-belief as any text does and providing an entertaining, informative, and insightful text as much as I, as much as I could um, it, it, from a fictional perspective that pertains to meaning to those who believe and don't believe because we all struggle with, with, with life issues. The end. You can take it. So, so that's, that's, the, the, um, that's the worst case scenario interpretation of the book. Um, best case scenario is that just like the Screwtape Letters, you walk away feeling like a changed or a new Christian and you want to do your very best to live your life with in with with the uh, the Christian virtues in your in your heart and mind. We're going to explore this um, even further in in a future episode. But for the final question for this one, and I feel like I I probably know the answer to this already. Um, do you think then that C.S. Lewis is still relevant for a twenty first century, let's say, young person living in Australia? The reason that he is categorically relevant to Australian young audiences, to global young audiences, is similar to the reason Shakespeare is so relevant, is because he explores concepts and notions pertaining to human nature in a way that is universally understandable and ageless. We are not, until we change who we are as human beings is when C.S. Lewis's works become irrelevant. Um, uh, and or and or at worst entertaining. They'll I think they'll always be entertaining, um, no matter what happens to us. So I believe that the reason that they are so um, so as I've already mentioned so uh, relevant to young audiences in particular is because people who are of a, of a younger age are still exploring concept complex notions about themselves and haven't quite fully come to understand all aspects of who they are and who they can be. And I think C.S. Lewis is an excellent vehicle to uh, guiding people to understand what their capabilities, what their, what their potential and what their um, capacity to be their best version of themselves are. Joshua, thank you so much. What a great way to end that podcast. We are going to hear more from you in the next episode though, but thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. As always, you can find out more about our guest through the links below. You can also visit the Premier Unbelievable website where there are lots of great articles and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time where we'll be carrying on our conversation with Joshua Karras about his modern take on the Screwtape Letters. Thank you.